welcome to Metaverse Cast. In this episode, I'm talking to Nikki Fries from an NFT project called Starborn. And this is a unique opportunity to get behind the scenes of how an NFT project is created and how what are the thoughts involved in marketing and promoting getting people behind the project. It developed into a super interesting discussion because what we might have done six months ago is not necessarily what we would do now. So it ended up being actually kind of a deep dive on all the moving parts and what you should consider right now in the mid of 2022 if you are setting out to launch an NFT project. So let's just dive in and hear what Nikki have to say. Hello, Nikki. Hello, Jesper. Thank, for, thank you for having me on. Thank you for taking the time. I'm curious about uh, Starborn because you were working on the completion uh, project and we previously had Andreas on um, about that. That's a while ago. And now you have a new project. Yeah, yeah. This is on Solana as well. And an entirely different project from what completion was. Um, but yeah, super excited to have kind of my taking the real lead on a project and not kind of sharing it with, with someone else. Uh, I think that's, um, that's interesting, at least in regards to the marketing part of it, I'm, I'm totally alone on that. And then I have two other people um, who support me on, on the other things and who kind of created the art from the get-go. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, first, tell us a little bit about like who you are and how did you end up in NFTs and uh, crypto and all that stuff? Thank you. Um, I, I'm a software entrepreneur. Been working with the B2B SaaS startups for for quite some time now. Uh, I've been part of starting two companies um, that are still existing today. One is called IdeaNode, and one is called PatRenewal.com. So within the, the innovation idea management space, and within patent renewal management, so completely different than working as a consultant uh, on side and kind of helping growth companies uh, with marketing and. Acquiring more customers, retaining customers, and monetizing more of their customers. And uh, privately, I've been interested in crypto for, for quite some time. I started learning about it in, in high school or in gymnasium here in Denmark, uh, back in 2012, I think, uh, but didn't take the leap. And then in 2017, um, I was working together with, um, with a guy called Ingvi uh, out at the Leo Innovation Lab. Um, and he had been super early uh, ICO with uh, with Ethereum, and um, he had some personal recommendations on kind of what I should buy into and, and other things. I didn't have a, had a lot of money back then, but uh, then I kind of started uh, started up creating wallet and purchasing some crypto and and started making small investments back then. Um, then in 2020, 20, uh, December, I kind of created my own. NFT on, on uh, OpenSea, actually. Uh, I didn't know what it meant or what it was, but I kind of heard about this OpenSea and NFT thing, and then I kind of created a photo. It's still there. Um, but then I kind of left it alone and didn't do anything else uh, besides that. And then um, Gary Vaynerchuk 
who created the uh, WeFriends. Um, he started up, uh, up up that project, and then I decided to uh, to mint one of the um, one of the WeFriends back then, and and then I kind of got into it. I burned my fingers quite a lot in the beginning. I I flipped um, the WeFriends, um, so I purchased it for I think it was one point five Ethereum back then, and I uh, sold it for five uh, Ethereum. Because it was a quite a fine investment back then, but it was too early in comparison to what I would have potentially earned. Uh, but I didn't know much about NFTs back then, and I thought, how can this small image or cartoon be worth that much? Um, it's, it, it was a ticket to, to recon back then, and of course, there's other utility um, along with it now. But back then, it was only a ticket, and how can a ticket be worth let's say 100,000 DKK or, um, yeah, um, how much was it? I think it was, you know, 15,000 Ethereum or something like that, or not Ethereum dollars back then, right? So I, I sold it and then I tried to, um, to read up on how I could make some other smart investments. And, um, and then I bought uh, something called Met Banana Union. I bought uh, nine of those bananas for, Thing was around 0.9 ETH, and then I purchased some other smaller things, and then I kept some. Um, and we will return to the Mad Banana Union thing because I'm actually a part of that as well now as an as an advisor. Um, but yeah, that was kind of how I got started in it. Yeah. Ah, cool. Uh, interesting. So you're just uh, you're experimenting your way forward, uh, or as uh, Tim Ferriss says, uh, failing forward. Isn't that something like that? Yeah, yeah, and okay. I, I agree with that as well. Yeah, cool. All right, so uh, so Starborn, you know, one of the things I've, I've looked at it a little bit. You know, I joined the Discord and uh, had a little bit of time to just like snoop around, um, and I see it's a it's a PFP project, right? Yeah, so it's and starting up as as a PFP project. Um, when <clears throat> when we got together. So Simon and Adam, uh, who is also on the team, and and actually a guy called Klaus, they kind of started that project. They met up uh, back, I think it was already in maybe October um, last year, so it's quite a, quite some time ago. And they were like, "Let's create a, let's create an NFT project." They thought it would be fun, and and I I know Adam for for quite some time now where we've been working together on a lot of different things. Uh, but Simon and, and Klaus, uh, I I didn't know beforehand, and and I know for, at least for Adam, he's kind of an experimenting guy. He likes to kind of try new stuff, play around with it, and and kind of just learn on the go. And and I quite like that. Um, so yeah, Klaus he is an illustrator. He draw um, these star bones in hand. And then Adam, he kind of digitized them. Um, and then Simon is kind of the techie here uh, who can do all things with code. And um, and yeah, so, so that was kind of how it started with this PFP kind of angle. And then we got together. Then we were kind of discussing different angles before I even joined the project. Um, thought about creating, um, back in the days, it was actually called, uh, what's called the, uh, Meta metal, meta metal, and because of that name, and because of kind of the, the metallic look that the older kind of versions had, we were thinking about maybe creating a, like an ETF 
for um, for trading with metals, basically. And then as an investor into the project, you would kind of earn some um, some dividends or something like that, uh, accordance with the ETF and the performance of, of that. Um, we kind of tried to, to go in different angles, but uh, eventually we ended up with Starborn, like a P PFP project right now. And there's multiple reasons for that I would like to go into as, as well, uh, because I think the market is super volatile and you have to start off. Yeah, let's discuss that later. Yeah. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we just talked before we hit the record button that we're going to talk about the project, but we're also going to talk about uh, marketing in the Web3 blockchain NFT space in general, because uh, you know quite a lot about that. I hope so. I, I've I've dipped my toes and I, I'm I'm there every day learning, but it's still brand new and everything. Every day, things are changing. Yeah, I, yeah. I like to break down uh, on this podcast. I like to break down all the buzzwords and abbreviations and stuff like that. Could so yeah. could you just quickly explain what an ETF is? Yeah. So um, I actually can't remember like the, the the name of it, but it's if you trading on the the traditional kind of stock exchanges, then you can invest in uh, ETFs um, and it's kind of like, um, so let's say you wanna, you wanna, uh, you're a bank or something like that, your institution, then you can create an ETF basically. And um, what that means is that as, as this institution, I can say, I want to um, invest within certain um, different, uh, what can call it in, in English value papers, those you can say it like that. Uh, in this case, it's a, it's it's a metal. So let's say I want to invest in silver. I want to invest in gold, uh, aluminium, and sodium, and other metals. And then yeah. the company can basically put together this collection of different uh, tradable papers and kind of form it into an ETF. So let's say this is an ETF that only invests in 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 in, in metals. So it's kind of like a fund. So yeah. you basically invest in kind of like a fund. I don't know much about uh, uh, investments, uh, stock investments and, and things like that, but I just Googled it and it, uh, it stands for Exchange Trade Fund. So yeah. basically you're, you're creating a fund. Uh, that, that sounds a little bit like a DAO, you know, what people are. Yeah, uh, yeah, to some degree at least, yeah. I, yeah. I can see that, yeah. yeah. Okay, but with that uh, cleared out, uh, okay, so... One of the things, you know, I recently, what was it, uh, last week, I heard Vaynerchuk, you just brought him up, you know, yeah. he had a speech where he, he brought up a trend that I totally agree with and have been seeing for some time, is that we are moving from, you know, uh, tradable uh, NFTs with a hint of utility to utility with a hint of tradability. Mm -hmm. So, so, and that was one of my biggest questions with Starborn is what's the utility? Yeah, and I, I completely get that. Um, let, me, let me start in, in another way. Okay. So the reason for why I joined Completion back in, um, back in January was that there was a, a founder who had non -ex no experience within crypto or NFTs. Uh, but he had uh, he had like a, a vision for what kind of company and what kind of um, you know, what kind of impact he wanted to have for completion. 
basically having an impact on mental health, basically. And furthermore, he had a utility from the get-go. He didn't have any art, kind of any like traditional art, but he had a utility that he wanted to create the, uh, these um, virtual reality experiences with, based on fractal art, basically. Yeah. And there was some science to back that up. I kind of liked that part. The reason for why, um, say, Starborn don't have a utility right now, why it doesn't have any roadmap right now, is that we could go in the direction of creating this ETF, just to come up with an example. We could build this, this, uh, this kind of um, tradable object that we would, that we would trade and we would operate as a traditional ETF, and and other Web two people could also join into it. And then you can say our our supporters, our collectors, would basically um, get benefits by holding the NFT as well, and hopefully get some dividends from uh, from us trading the ETF. That was kind of a utility we could work around. But what I see is that the the markets uh, and the innovation is moving so fast right now that if you want to build a utility now, it takes a lot of time, first of all. Uh, again, we are free people and we could potentially use the funds, the, the funds for, for selling the collection out to, um, to raise a team who could build <clears throat> and, and execute our roadmap even faster. I, I completely get that. And that was also, I think, the main reason for why NFTs was kind of created in, in the, not in the first place, but at least it's, a, it's another way of getting investment, right? Kind of like ICOs as well, initial coin offerings and IPOs, initial uh, public offerings for, for traditional companies. But um, being these free people, it takes time to build, let's say, a staking platform, a marketplace. It could be, um, it could be another way to create wider spots. It could be this ETF. It takes quite some time. And what I see in the markets right now is that the companies who started out wanting to create a marketplace back in February, who are launching now because it kind of takes time. They are launching into a saturated market right now where there's a lot of different marketplaces out there. There's a lot of staking platforms out there. And, and it's only the few who wins. And I think there's also something with the first mover advantage, especially let's say with marketplaces. You can see, I don't know how much you follow Solana right now, but you can see we had Solana art, we have different kind of marketplaces within that space. Then we had Magic Eden, who was kind of trying to take an, a different approach, I would say. And then you had OpenSea kind of coming in, into that. And now you have Coral Cube, you have uh, Yaw that just launched. And you have a lot of other kind of marketplaces for that. But the thing is, again, that the market is moving so fast and what had the interest of you can say the community back back then is, is kind of different now because of kind of the, the supply and demand circle. So the approach we are taking instead of kind of laying out a full full fledged roadmap is that we want to build out a community first of all. We want to see can we get people excited about this project, not for having a specific utility, but because we are a strong team and because we are trying to approach things differently. Well, they believe in us basically. Well, they believe in their founders, kind of like traditional angel investors. They're not necessarily, I mean, they are investing in the idea and kind of the plan and the strategy, but more, more than that, especially in the early days, they're investing in the founders, right? And I, I see, you can say our collectors or our supporters as kind of investors as well. They're taking an investment decision too. They wanna support us with their money. 
and with their time, which is even more valuable. Um, so, so the way that I'm kind of thinking about is that can we build interest around, around what it is right now? Can we kind of tease different angles that we could potentially go in? And then when we have built enough interest, we have enough support, we have enough engagement within the community, then we can kind of think about, okay, so community, what, what do you see as demanding in the market right now? Where do you see that there would be a potential need for something? So I would rather kind of take that approach and then based on that, so let's say, let's say it's a, this ETF thing. So let's say now that we have uh, 10,000 followers on, on Twitter and we have 5,000 people in our Discord, something like that. Let's say that's, that's the case. And we can see people are super active and they are supporting around it. They are engaging with all, all the content that we put out. Then we could kind of go into dialogue with our community. If we build this ETF thing, would that be something that you would like to use? If that's the case, and we can kind of do some testing around it, like traditional, you can say, market validation around it, would people actually not only say that they're interested in it, but could they also maybe put some money up up front before we even build it to kind of have this early commitment and, and to see if people mean what they say, basically. Yeah. Um, and then we could maybe try to lay out a roadmap. And dependent on that, we would also know how much capital would we need to raise. So what would the mint price need to be and what would the collection side needs to be as well, right? Yeah, I think I understand. Uh, so, so that brings me to kind of the same situation that you, that you just said with uh, when you joined completion, you know, you joined because there was an overall like vision of a culture and a company to create. So, you know, besides the utility, like who is it that you want to have in your community and uh, you know, what is the, what, what is the overall vision of what you, you know, it, it sounds like, Right now, the goal is to create a community, you know, and then we can figure out, okay, where do we go from the community? So, so who is it, you know, what kind of community is it that you want to build? Yeah, I and mean, that's, that's a good question because it's, it's super tricky. It's, it's super tricky uh, for multiple reasons. Of course, everybody wants to create a, a quality community with lots of whales who have a lot of money or at least have a lot of interest in what you're building, right? And, and that's what everybody wants, but it's super hard to do in reality. And so in, in the beginning, kind of where I wanted to go, let, let me put it, let me put my strategy for kind of the, the way I want to build this community instead. And then I can kind of lay out why I'm doing certain things on, on the go. So first, first step was basically to reach out to our personal networks. We want to create a community that is a, a, as engaged as possible from the get-go and who is kind of supporting what we do no matter what it is, kind of, like super fans. So let's say if Gary Vaynerchuk put something out, uh, people would, at least a lot of people would potentially be super interested in what he brings out, no matter what it is, kind of. And we feel the same way. So the, the, the people who would be most engaged with us personally, without having a lot of, you know, utility or fame or giving away something for free, would be our friends. So we started out reaching out to our friends in our network. That was kind of the, the, the first step. Second step for us is that we are all Danes. 
So we started reading out to a Danish network as well. So Danish Facebook groups um, talking, talking with Danes there and kind of say, hey, we are building this project. Do you, do you want to consider joining this project? The reason for, for, you can say, choosing that audience afterwards is that uh, it's still quite small in Denmark. NFT projects with free talk, uh, people who have their own uh, collections. And what I see at least is that people are still really supportive of, of other Danes. And they also feel closer to a Danish project than an American project with people whom they don't know necessarily. That's at least what, 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 I, what I see right there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then I'll just put it forward here, actually, what I have here. Then the second step that we kind of wanted to do is to get our friends and the community from the Danish side to kind of have this kind of referral loop or creating a viral kind of growth hack or rival way of building the community. So what, what I kind of wanted to do is to say that the first uh, 20 people who invite five people uh, would get a free mint, basically. So again, kind of what I wanted to do is to have friends within there and, and, and a group of supporters on the Danish side who would be super engaged. And what I hope with that is that if Danish people and our friends would kind of invite people whom they know, they would potentially also be Danish or acquaintances with some of us. And they would also be more likely to engage either because we were in there or because their friends was in there, right? So that was kind of the, the, the next step, basically. And then after that, what I wanted to do and what we failed on um, is that I wanted to create, so first 20 spots with free mints was out, was kind of what I imagined. And then we would put up what we call free whitelist spots. So again, the next five, uh, the next 20 people who would invite five people would get whitelist spots to the project as well. Uh, we didn't manage to pull that off uh, because we, we grew that's slow. So it might be, you can say, the wrong approach with kind of going for quality rather than quantity and kind of trying to keep it private and, and trying to keep it within a private circle. Um, but I think that will play out in, in the end. Uh, we, see a, we see a lot of projects right now who has hundreds of thousands even uh, followers on, on social networks and even hundred of thousand people in the discourse or 50,000 or 40,000 with collection sizes only at 3,000 or 6,000 or 10,000 that doesn't mint out. And I think it's because of, you know, quantity over quality and also because it's so easy to buy bots, buy followers, buy members. And, and I think we should also touch upon that Jesper as well uh, because it's, it's quite interesting um, to to you know, go from zero to one in, in this case. And um, there's different ways you can do it. And, and sometimes I think it would even be necessary to, to do it, you would say gray, gray ways, but we can touch upon that. It's not something yeah. I've pulled off yet, but I think it's uh, quite interesting to share. Well, I work all the time uh, with product market fit. I've done that for like more than 20 years. Uh, and, and for me, you know, the, the thing that, you know, the blank spot that I see is where's the why you know and because i was just thinking like 
I've seen a lot of these, you know, refer these and you know, you get something. I almost never participate because it's just like what, what, you know, not that I wouldn't, but it's just like the friends I have, they're already in the space. You know, I, I don't really have a lot of people that, Hey, I can send you this uh, and, and, and explain to them, okay, here's, here's the thing you should do because it's, it's super cool. It's just like, it's always like some kind of like mumbling explanation. And in this case, if it was me, and it's just like, and, and I'm totally right with you on the, okay, you start with, you know, your closest network and then you move out from there. Yeah. Uh, and my only relation would be, ah, this is stop on. This is one of the, you know, like weird uh, NFT projects you've heard about. My relation to it is that I know a guy called Nikki who was involved in a project that I, I'm also bought into and he seems to be pretty cool and that's it yeah you know so if i didn't know you or you know people would have to really trust me and actually follow me like you say people follow like a range truck to buy into that yeah but i'm thinking like i'm missing something like hey we're doing this because we want to you know make things you know like andreas he wanted to improve like uh, mental health you know that was like a big you know some, some kind of mission a big why yeah yeah i completely agree um, I think I, I think I think traditionally that that's at least my opinion now that I've kind of been part of other impact projects, let's call it that, or companies that had a why from the get-go. Let, let me let me put it that way. I think yeah. you can find your why eventually with your community as well. What you want to convert it into. I I, I see that it it really doesn't at least that's my opinion it really doesn't matter if i mean utility roadmap vision why branding all of these things can help create interest and kind of get people to come on board but i see that it's possible to create projects out there who gain massive traction without all of that and i think within this space because it's moving so fast. There's so many projects shooting up everywhere. Yeah. People don't care about the projects that doesn't get traction. No. That's what I see. And people are spending a lot of time and a lot of money on kind of trying to get these projects off, 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 off the chart. Off the ground, yeah. Off the ground, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but in the end, if they can't do that, then it doesn't really matter. So for example, let's say with completion, we spend we spend venture a lot of venture capital on that project, trying to lift it off the ground. We had a big why. We had a lot a lot of different things, and I can see that some people personally bought into it, and I love that part of it. But in the end, if the if the project should be successful, there would need to be a lot more traction in it, and I think it would be easier for us if if we build a lot of traction around competent people and people believe they could make a good investment in this. Let's, let's just put it down to that because that's 90% of what it is. It's about, you know, making good investments and investing in projects you believe in and hopefully in the end being part of something cool that maybe takes off and potentially is profitable or have some social value. Yeah. It, let's just... But already here, you're starting to form like a, like a value proposition in my head. Because it's like, ah, okay, if that's the purpose. So, okay, here's the idea. You know, these, these cool guys, they are bright, they are talented, they are connected, they are creating something. 
you don't really know what it is because, you know, they're trying to do, you know, they're trying to seek when others sack, you know, doing things a little bit different. It's going to turn into something. So if you believe in these guys and, uh, you know, you're in it for the long term, you know, that's why you would buy one of those uh, NFTs. And it comes with some pretty awesome graphics as well. But more important, it's, you know, these guys, they will turn this into something in some shape or form, no matter what. So if you get in early, you know, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think the case here, again, is that it, uh, you can spend a lot of time and money and energy on kind of trying to, to, to pull it off. Um, in the end, if, if, if you don't do it, then what you can, let's say that you don't mint out, I think that's a fail for me at least and for, for, for Adam and Simon as well. And we have decided that we want to do this money back guarantee. So basically, if we don't mint out, people will get their money back. And we try to, to communicate with some of the launch pads out there and if, if they could kind of do it manually or automatically, because people would not maybe trust that we would actually do that, you know? Yeah, a but little bit like Kickstarter. Yeah, but if it's like written into the contract and if it's automatically from their side, then it would be a lot more believable and then it would take off um, all the risk, basically. Because what people don't want is that they don't want to, you know, mint a project that doesn't mint out. Yeah. I have seen other projects still succeeding. It's possible. But in the end, it's, 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 it's quite a barrier. Um, so that's, that's kind of some of the things that we want. We are not stressing it. Um, we are building long-term because we want to see, can we build the interest? If we, if we can build the interest, then we won't launch. Hmm. Then we fail. Yeah. And we would rather spend, let's say, the next 10 months trying to build a community that is super engaged and have the right numbers. What I mean with numbers is like when we create an announcement, are we getting enough reactions on it? How fast are we getting it? And all of this should have to, it, it needs to be organic as well, right? The same on our Twitter. Are people excited about this? Are people following along? Are they going into the Discord every day, checking out what's happening? Maybe, maybe engaging in the chat. I think for I think personally that engagement in the in the chat is 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 kind of a vanity metric because the people who have money to invest in this space, they have so many discords that they are you know uh, participating in. They will choose a few, just a super few, where they maybe know the founder or there's a personal collection or they really you know love what they do. But otherwise, they will not go into all the discourse and be an active chatter, basically. I think the people who are active chatters are the people who, uh, how, how can I put this, it is, is not you know, necessarily quality buyers. They are there for uh, the quick flip, or they are there because they may not have that much money, and they hope to, you know, they're, they're new to this space. It, you know, coming from, from lower income countries or something like that, those are usually, at least that's what I see. And, and I'll just put it this way, that, that those are the ones that I'm usually chatting with in, in, in completion discord or within some other of the other discords out there. Um, and it, it's, not, it's not bad, uh, but if you, if you wanna look at a quality measurement score for what is the quality of the people who will potentially purchase this, I don't think that's the right metric to track, basically. Um, I think, again, if we look at the projects who succeed, 
and like really kind of become something. It's about the personal connections as well. Um, can you get the right people to kind of buy into this? It's a, it's a quality mission, me measurement metric. It's the, it's the same if you get quality investors on board, then other people will follow and tag along. Um, and I think it's the same kind of case here. Um, I, can, I can kind of feel like I'm moving in, in west, west and south and north and east. <laughs> yeah, but I, I agree because I, you know, I try to leave these code servers all the time, you know, because I have a long list. I don't know. I lost count. Uh, and, and if I haven't engaged, uh, I'm not invested in the project or it's not something I've engaged in. You know, I just, I leave the server just to keep, uh, you know, a minimal amount because you could really explode very fast. Uh, and as you say, I'm not very active in most, uh, like maybe like 90% of those servers. I just uh, go in sometimes and, uh, and check the announcements. Uh, I've even created like my own server just for me where, where I have a feed of the announcements of the projects that I follow so that I only you know, go in one place. Uh, so I totally agree. Uh, and, and often I think in this code, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the first thing I've, I saw there was a move, like an organic move away from Facebook groups, which yeah. is pretty cool. But still it's like this super timeline thing. You know, so so it, it you have to be present at all time to kind of join in the conversation because there's no this post uh, structure. Everything is just mixed up. Uh, there's a little bit, you know, not getting technical. Uh, but I don't think this code is like the greatest communication platform ever. Uh, I think something like Circle is uh, is much better. It's a little bit similar to to Facebook in in its structure. Uh, so, so it's just it's it's impossible, and uh, and most people are just it's it's you know just DMs and uh, you know shallow conversations, and I don't have any time for that anymore. So same, same. And I think let's say if you, let's say you want the, the real whales out there to invest in your project, they will not be active this year as well. No, I mean they have maybe one alpha group or maybe a few where they kind of chat with people who they see as equals or whatever we can call it. And, and that's it. Um, so yeah, I, I think you think you have to kind of decide on what is what is real quality to you and to your community. I think, of course, you know, having uh, one, one of the things that we, we want to do is um, we give out a lot of whitelist spots here in the beginning. And the, the reason for that is that we want to incentivize people to come into our Discord that's kind of the first step. We are still super early, super early here. We, you know, just launched it, I think it was maybe two weeks ago now, or maybe even less. Um, but what's your, you know, what's your point? On, because you see, you know, you, you, you're giving out whitelist spots. And I see, you know, from in, in my feed, you know, my world, everybody is giving out whitelist spots, whitelist yeah. spots. And I don't care. You know, I don't give a shit about getting on any whitelists. You know, I'll see what the project does. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, most of the entities I have uh, are gaming related. You know, so I, I always look at the game. Okay, what's the potential? Does it not, does I, is it a, a kind of game that I like? Yeah. Um, 
and so forth. And then I just get in uh, and then I'll get on the whitelist spot. But again, I see, you know, what's in it for me kind of thing first. And, and uh, so, so is that a tactic that works? Does, think, does it really matter? I think for, for, for the flippers out there, what they do is that they try to secure whitelist spots as many as, as, as possible. Of course, they try to bid it out because it also takes time to kind of follow the announcements and kind of keeping track of all of that. But if they get a whitelist spot early and then potentially the project takes off and, or they can mint it and they can see, okay, so let's say they get a whitelist spot to, to Starborn. Just above these 200 members right now, um, they will leave it alone for, for quite some time. But let's say now in, in three months time that this project is ready to launch. Uh, it has, a, let's say, 40,000 members on Discord and a lot of followers as well. And they have a, a chat that's active as well. And, and then on the mint day, they will follow. So they will follow when they get the whitelist, but then they will leave it alone. Then on the mint date, they, they will go into the site. They will follow it. See, okay, is this minting out? Is it not minting out? If it has a lot of traction beforehand, like with bubble, bubble goose bowlers, for example, also a Solana project that kind of have a lot of hype uh, beforehand and also a really high price, then, um, then, then they might mint, right? So that's kind of how they, they, they kind of do it. And that's why white spots is worth something. Um, that means if yeah. you're targeting flippers. If, if it's flippers, exactly. Yeah. But a lot of whales are also doing that as well. If, if those are the people that you want in the community. And, and that's also, you know, again, part of what kind of quality do you want? And I think right now, again, what I try to do is to build a network based on people who have any relation to us. That's the first step. Then secondary, try to target communities or other projects that have similar art or something similar to us. Let's say for completion, it could be other communities focused on mental health, because then they might have something else than profit that they are buying into. Again, here, let's say we are targeting other projects. Let's say something like Azuki could be a project that would kind of have some similar traits to what we are doing again on another, on another blockchain, but kind of trying to target those communities where people might have bought in because they really like the art. Um, because again, right now we don't have much other than who we are and our team and what we're trying to do, right? Um, um, but again, again with whales, what they do as well is that let's say they can mint um, two, they will flip the first and they will keep the second if the project, um, if the project uh, potentially takes off. Um, and that's that's just the, the name of the game because they want to protect their investments, but you still want the whales because the whales are the ones who will potentially sweep up if they see potential, um, what can call it, um, arbitrage in the market. I know no buzzwords here, but yeah. they, if they see a good investment opportunity in, in kind of the flow and if it's thin or if it's fake, if they, if it's easy to, to raise the floor prices, um, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, Esper, but I think it's, it's, in regards to quality, it's just difficult. You always want the right people, but again, it's, it's a, what do you call it in English? Um, you know, the egg and, um, and uh, what do you call it? Chicken and the egg. The chicken and the egg project yeah. uh, problem. Um, yeah. You want, uh, you want the right people, but the right people also want numbers. 
Yeah. Those numbers don't come in quality. They come in quantity. Uh, again, back to the butt thing that we talked about earlier. Um, when I engage with the, with projects out there uh, who I can see potential fit in regards to the, to the art, um, they don't necessarily want to create a collaboration with a project with so few Discord members. But if we had 2,000 members, then they would be all open for it. And this is also where it becomes really painful because it's super cheap to buy 200 members. You can even buy them so they look like they're online. And these communities, they don't care. They see, we have, we have some standards, we have some rules, let's say these collab managers created by the founders or created by someone else. And they say, if this community have 2000 members and let's say 20 or 30 of them are, are online, uh, in the Discord, they have 2,000 followers on Twitter, then we can create a collaboration with them. And if that's the case, then when you collab with them, then you will pull in some more members and then it's just a snowball effect, right? Yeah. Um, and I think lots of these mints of these projects that doesn't mint out. And also I see what they do, they inflate quite fast. Uh, one, one project, that I just got uh, into their, commu their community here like a week ago. They're launching um, next week, I think. And they went from zero to 40,000 super fast. I think it's all because of inflated numbers. And I also think I, I won't mint this project. Uh, they're not darks. There's a lot of other red flags. Um, but I think it's super easy to, to, to create a community with a lot of members. So what, what is the, what would be, and I know, you know, that's subjective, but overall, you know, I like to look at things from the overall perspective of things. Like, you know, the, my, one of my favorite marketing mechanics is, uh, was KLT, you know, know, like, and trust, you know, that's the process you have to go through, you know, from, from creating customers out of strangers. Uh, and that's kind of like an overall principle. And then you can use, whatever means is is uh, relevant to whatever it is you're working with right so so what do you think is the overall principles of creating and launching an nft project you know if you have to sum it up because we've been around it but but you know do you have some like general guidelines okay i do this first and then this and then the other thing if you want to create and launch a project like we are doing where we try to kind of turn it a little bit around building the community and the engagement first and trying to say this is long term we're building out of quality not necessarily quantity i think it's easy to build quantity again um by by five thousand followers or five thousand members do a lot of collabs with infinitive infinitive uh, first come first serve wireless bots then you can easily build a community of 100,000 people. But I don't think you will mint out. I don't think it's quality. Again, what, what, um, what we are trying to do in here is um, to lay out a plan um, on building a quality community. What is quality to us? Quality to us is, uh, is people who are engaged in the project who kind of have any relation to us, who will buy into what we share in our announcements, what we share in our Twitter, um, if they see that we are a competent team. 
that's but because that's what we have right now. Uh, we will reveal other, you can say, mechanics of our art and possibility, possibly also some lore and other utility down the road. But if you're we, if you're looking like like you know your projects aside, but launching, you know, what is your general go-to method of launching uh, an NFT uh, project? Again, um, if you're flipping it around like I am, like we are, invite your socials first. I, I mean, if we're only talking about growth and numbers and, and marketing and not necessarily all the other things, you know, look, look, at, look at your circle. The closest people to you, you should invite first. Reaching out to all of them manually, that's just the hard way of doing it. Then what is the, the next circle that you can think about kind of having interest in your project? Again, for me, it was people uh, within the Danish community. Reach out to all of them manually. Go through them. DM them on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, within the discords. Do all of this work because it's what matters. And then you can organically get to a thousand people. And then you can start to do all of the other things where people will kind of snowball in. And you can see that, that you know, you can see that there's other factors kicking in that will potentially help boost your numbers. Um, I think you have to, 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 to do a lot of things manually at first, find your circle, expand it from there, expand it into art that looks like the same as you are. If you are a gaming community, find other, uh, other projects who are kind of creating the same games as you are, tap into their community. Again, let's say, yes, but you wanna grow this podcast. I think the easiest way to grow a podcast is to be on other people's podcast because they're already in the app. It's the same here. Find people who are close to your project and figure out where they are and be there. Um, find some, 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 you know, some incentive for them to tap into your community, whether it's by a personal connection, if it's by some utility that you know they might like because they have showed that they liked it in the past. If it's the art, if they liked art similar to this in the past, then they might like it again. If it's all about you know profit and a good investment, then talk to them about why would this make a good investment? Why should they trust you? Think about it as, as you are a startup founder, you are creating a pitch. You have to convince investors to purchase into your project. Again, they look at they look at different things. They look at the team, they look at the market opportunity, they look at how will you basically get where your goals are. If you can lay it out in a good way, if you can convince people, then you also have a, you know, a selling point or yeah. proposition to them. I uh, Back in, what was it? I started in 2011. I did a lot of crowdfunding. I did a documentary film project uh, and we did multiple crowdfunding campaigns. Uh, I've worked both on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And, uh, and one of the things which I see is similar to what people are doing in the Web3 space, uh, at least those who succeed is, is Kind of like what you're doing, uh, but it's also a mistake that I see a lot of people when they're not doing it, uh, because usually you say, okay, crowdfunding campaign is like three months, you know, just it can take, it could be a year, uh, but you know, I usually say no, nothing less than three months, and the two months before the campaign starts, you you're doing what you're saying, you're reaching out to people, preparing them, building email lists, and so basically once you open the floodgates you will 
you know, in Web3 space, we call it mint out, but in crowdfunding space, it was, you know, you need to reach, what was it, like 30% of your goal uh, within the first 24 hours or something, because then you trigger the algorithms and you get featured on the front pages of those uh, platforms. And all of that stuff is the manual work of lining up. You know, we, we had a term back then we used, you know, friends, fools, and family. And then just, uh, you know, get them ready to, to go in and, you know, have these early bird perks and all this kind of stuff so that you can open the door and, and it looks like uh, things are already taking up, taking off because nobody walks into an empty restaurant. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the, the prep work of the launch. And once the launch is, once you press on, the, the job is, is, is more or less done. That's not completely true, but, but still, uh, you know, it, it, at least if you've done your work right, uh, then the, you should be on rails uh, from there. Yeah, and I completely agree. And it's also about, again, what you're tapping into as well here in, in relation to an NFT project. It's about the minting strategy as well. It's about, you know, the contract that you're creating. When will it be on sale? When can when will you launch on the, on the marketplaces afterwards? How will your minting process be? What is the prices? How many different tiers do you have? In in what order? What what is what what uh, how how many? What is the duration of the different phases? What hour are you minting? There's a lot of strategy coming into that as well. That is super important if you want to mint out. Um, for example, a lot of projects back one month ago on Solana. They didn't mend out, and it was mainly, I think, at least it was mainly because of uh, the Solana network issues back then that people couldn't even mint. So you have to consider a lot of different things in this space, and I hope, of course, it also becomes better because it's super, uh, you know, it's super sad for the projects that put a lot, a lot of time and energy into it as well. Uh, But again, what you're saying, uh, if you if you do it in the right way, and I think again tapping into more of a minting strategy and post-launch strategies as well which is also super important and if you if you, if you do it well and if you think it for, through and if you uh, look at the projects that win and you have to look at the projects that win today not three months ago because what they did back then is not necessarily what works now um, you can see a project, I don't know if you follow, I know it's also becoming very shaky, but if you follow the Skullbots project on Solana as well, what they do now is that the, the, the metadata in their collection is not locked, it's not frozen. Mm. It basically means that what they did is that when people started to list their NFTs, they would change the, the, the image of the metadata, and they would give, give them a trade, which basically said it was uh, invalidated. So all the people who listed, uh, their image would turn from the actual NFT collection that they thought they bought into an, an image saying uh, invalidated. Yeah. And it's, again, you can talk about if it's a good post-mint strategy, but at least it's, it's a strategy to keep people from listing their project. We can talk about the ethics of it and a lot of other things. But you have to think about what are you actually going to do and what are the new things happening out there that you can kind of take advantage of or look into. The same with minting tokens. If you don't just have you know, a minting role uh, and if you actually create tokens, let's say a lot of people, they create tokens and then they airdrop it to you just before mint. And then if you have that token, then you are allowed to mint. 
just having one of them is not good enough anymore because then you can just you know exchange it on an open market and you can sell it to other people and then people can actually buy you know the wireless spots and then it becomes an entire market in itself so today you have to create three different tokens uh, where a potential holder need to have all three tokens if they want to mint the project yeah. to kind of create this protection thing so you have to, yeah. yeah, so you have to think about all of the, the newer things that are happening as well because flippers, scammers, hackers, and people in general are also becoming smarter. And they're looking into all the different ways of exploiting things as well, or gaining advantages on things that wasn't meant to uh, be that way, right? Yeah. yeah. But you, you talked about something here that I think, you know, one of the things that have become super clear to me after I got into this whole blockchain Web3 space uh, for reals, you know, somebody uh, presented me with the, the idea of Bitcoin, I think it was in 2011, and I bookmarked it for, you know, read later, and uh, now, you know, a decade later. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I haven't, you know, it's been, I got into it around was 2019 or something where I really started diving deep on, uh, on things. Um, and that is this, you know, everything can be used for the good and the bad. And, and everything is moving constantly, which I think, think is pretty cool, but it's also super frustrating because as you said, what worked like a month ago or three months ago doesn't necessarily work today. But what you said about the meta is something I, I'm curious about is, you know, because it's fun that you can actually have an NFT that reacts to what you do with it. You know, that's that's cool. You know, that alone is a utility, if you want to call it that, uh, that would pique my interest and say, okay, that's, that's, because then it becomes kind of like a story, an element and see, okay, well, what what happens if I do this? And what happens if I do that? You know, that that is uh, because I know that people are kind of frowning upon NFT projects where the metadata isn't locked, you know, just for the reason you just mentioned, you know, because are you, you know, are you actually getting what you're buying and what after, you know, what can they do to change it? But again, that can also used, be used for like a positive uh, thing, you know, for, for a project where it's applicable. So, so yeah. It's just, uh, I think it's just, you know, it, it's moving super fast and it's fun. And uh, I like that right now we're in a bear market because, you know, it's easier to just play, you know, it doesn't matter if a, if a success if project is a great success or not, because you don't have that much money at stake. Uh, it's a little bit like a game, uh, which is fine. Uh, but, you know, so what do you think is, you know, if you have, if you have to say something, you know, somebody who's, thinking of doing an nft project you know do you have like five major mistakes that people are doing uh and five things that people should absolutely consider right now um if they if they're creating that project hmm. yeah i think i think i think uh, if you are create if you want to create a project i think the the best way to start is to create a lot of projects um, being that you will you will get to learn you will get to learn how do you do it what kind of uh, what kind of elements are people interested in what are the incentives that you can use also you will start creating a smaller community let's say you're creating your own collection out of a PSD file you're creating it yourself 
you are getting into how how can you actually mint it with metaplex or some other tools out there which is basically almost free and then start launching it you create a collection with hundreds with with just a hundred different art pieces or something like that you can give it out for free even uh, so now you have a hundred different holders um, they all come into your community, you're launching a new project, you know, start ramping up as well. That's the easiest way to create a community. And I think it's the smartest way as well. Uh, if you want to create a successful project in, in the future. Uh, I think that that's kind of a good strategy. Creating a project, uh, mending it for free, uh, getting community, getting them into your, your space. They, they get an asset, they can actually trade, they could potentially earn money on as well. You could also get some royalties on it if you want. Um, I don't recommend it putting it too high, but I think something is fair. What um, is what is too high? I think well, what I think one of the strategies that some of the projects are seeing right now is that if if uh, if you list an NFT before X and X amount of days, then they set the, the royalty to let's say ninety five. Okay, that's that's crazy, right? But, but that's, that's also, the mechanism to prevent people from listing it. Exactly, exactly. That's that's what some of the communities are doing right now. But I think uh, it, I think it's 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 difficult because a lot of the free projects out there, what they're doing is that they're giving it out for free and then they're taking a high royalty. And it, it's 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 you know giving out for free is a premium strategy. It's a marketing strategy to get a lot of people into yeah. your fold. We know a few games that do that. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, and and it's 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 just a different strategy. But again, if they have a roadmap that they need to execute, then they still need to earn a royalty on it. Otherwise, they don't. They they can raise enough funds to execute their roadmap. Yeah. And again, I think each and every project have to look into okay, what is it that we actually want to build? First of all, what what strategy would we take? Is it a freemium strategy, or is it you know a traditional strategy? If it's the freemium strategy, what budget do you need to execute your roadmap? One of the things that we, I, th I just, you know, I usually listen after the uh, questions that arise in my head while I'm talking to someone. And we have touched upon a few times uh, that about listing NFTs, right? Uh, and I'm pretty sure both you and I know why people don't want their uh, projects to be listed uh, super fast, uh, especially if they haven't minted out yet. Uh, because if the floor uh, drops to lower than the minting price, you know the project is basically dead. Uh, so, so what's your what's your thoughts on that? Is is that the only reason, or uh, you know, um, is is that the mechanic at play? I think it's a. Um, I think it's it's. I think it's 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 a mix. Uh, you as a, as a as a project owner, I guess you want new people to come into your fold at sometimes. You know, new energy creates new opportunities, create new network effects, create new uh, ideas and possibilities. So I think you also need an influx of new people and let's say everybody just hold on to their NFTs. I think in, in, in regards to protecting the floor price, definitely the fewer listings, the better, because then, you know, the floor, let's say you only have 100 NFTs listed out of a, a big collection of, of thousands. If, if you have a floor with only 100 listed, then let's say one is listed at five, the next one might be listed at six, and then one at eight, and then one at 10, the floor becomes very thin. So it can basically increase quite fast. 
If it's thick, then everybody has listed at six, 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 one, six, one, six, one, six, two, six, two, six, two. And if there's, if, if, if your collection is, if there's a lot of NFTs listed from your, from the same collection, from your collection, then the, the, the floor will become thicker eventually, right? There will not be that much spread in regards to what are the NFTs listed for. I think one strategy that needs to be in place if you don't want people to list, again, is the post-min strategy, thinking about the royalty thing, thinking about should you change your metadata and do crazy stuff like Skullbots did uh, with your NFT, or should you just have you know, an airdrop in place? You can have multiple things as well. So what people are, companies are also doing, projects are also doing is that all the people who haven't listed their NFT and kept on to it since Mint, within seven days, they get a free airdrop. You know, creating different incentives to keep people in place. Again, staking is also something that I think is super important still. Uh, I don't think you should go out and build your own staking platform. I think it's, it's too cost heavy. And I think there's so many different stakehouses out there that you can tap into. But I think having your own, your own token or another token, it could also be, you know, DGODs and other Solana project, they have something called dust. It could, you could even try to tap into that as well. Uh, people earning dust instead of earning your own token, let's call it star, uh, the star token or whatever it may be. I think staking is still a good way of, of preventing people from listing your token. Again, if they stake your token or your NFT, then they can't list it. That's yeah. basically, if they want to earn, they can't list. Again, you have to think about, so what they earn also have to have some kind of value. I can say to you, Jesper, if you, if you stake my uh, Starborn NFT, you will get uh, hundreds stars a day. Yeah. But if you can't spend it on anything that's of value to you, then it doesn't really matter for you to, to stake it, right? Yeah, was a, I've been, yeah. you know, I, I used to follow a lot uh, of Star Atlas, uh, the game. I don't know if you know it. Uh, yeah. I got into it. Uh, I can't remember if it was the Mint or not, but it was a long time ago. Uh, and, and they have this, you know, the, the first game they created was kind of like a staking game mm -hmm. where you send your ships out on a mission and basically you have to go and refuel them and uh, resupply them with the stuff to be able to earn the tokens. Um and I did that for a while, you know, every day. Uh, and and but the tokens are, at least last time I checked, basically worthless. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's waiting for what is this token going to be, but people are making a lot of them. Like probably, I don't know if it's in the probably billions or something like that of those tokens. So the the you know the probability that all of a sudden when the game launch this is like a super valuable uh, to me that seems like slim to none so I, I didn't want to go in every day and click the buttons connect with my wallet and restock my ships and stuff like that so that was too high of a threshold for me to uh, actually but it kept me for i think it's like two or three months or something i didn't do it every day but i did it uh, you know um, every other day or something like that so I think that's a balance, you know, how can you gauge people with like making them click buttons and, and, and play games and, and things like that to, to get a reward. But also that's dangerous if you have a long launch path, like a triple A game, mm -hmm. because there's no way people are going to do that for three years.
no. at least uh, <laughs> not the majority of your community is my assumption. No, I completely agree. You have to you have to consider your gamification mechanics and you have to reinvent them as well and create new innovation and new stuff to do such that it doesn't become this game where you have to go in every day and you will earn some new things. Think about a game like Farm Will. I've never played it, no, but it's the no. same kind of mechanics, right? And yeah. if, if you don't farm or whatever it is you do in that game, then, you know, your farm will uh, eventually, uh, I don't know if it's running or it's just, you know, becoming dry, I don't know. But it's, it's the same kind of mechanic, right? And, uh, and if the thing is that you invest a lot of time in it, in, in this farm, and if you want to maintain the quality of your farm, you have to get in every day. And it's, it's, this, it's this wheel, basically, yeah. that the more you invest, the harder it is for you to leave it alone. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's, a tricky, it's a tricky mechanic, and you can think about you know, ways of freezing it or you know, holiday season. Yeah. So for, for, for the next seven days, you don't have to go in every day. You're on holiday, right? Yeah. But I also think that specifically that mechanic to keep people you know glued to the screens is getting old you know it started with snapchat uh and something like that with the streaks and all that kind of stuff uh but i think uh, people are, are starting to see through it hopefully uh, but that's a whole another discussion i think you and i we could probably talk a long time about different uh, marketing mechanics and, and stuff like that uh one of the one of the questions i always ask people is one of the, what is the one of the things that you look most forward to on a personal level in regards to web3 blockchain metaverse whatever you want to you know call out digital future yeah i think i think uh, first of all uh, why why i think web3 is so interesting and so important as well is that we as as human beings we want to engage with things that provide us value to some to some degree right and there's a lot of brands out there that doesn't bring me value but which is commodities to me and i have to kind of purchase it not because i like it but just because it's necessary right and i think what web3 is also changing is that it's becoming more engagement based so you want to engage with the brands who is a value to you and the ones who doesn't bring value to you you can kind of start forgetting about that's at least kind of the grand future I see for, for this space being token-based economies, right? Every project, every company having their own small economy. And if I want to engage with the Kellogg's or whatever brand it may be, then I will earn that token and I can spend that token on buying more Kellogg's. And then I'll kind of keep it within this universe if I like that tiger uh, and I kind of want to engage in the tiger and I can even build my own tiger or whatever it may be, right? Mm. Um, and I can create a small little tiger avatar that I can use as my profile picture and a lot of different things. You know, brands creating this own, their, their own little universe of different tokenomics, where the more engaged you are as a consumer, the more likely you, the, the more you will gain uh, and the more likely you are to stay. Yeah. And then of course there have to be some kind of marketplace somewhere where, so if I don't want to spend my money on my, my energy, my engagement on, on Kellogg's anymore, then I might, be able to uh, change it to Nesquik or whatever it may be, right? Um, and, and is that and is that the key difference here? Because I see a lot of that as well, and that's no different from the loyalty points and clubs that we've had since the fifties, you know, basically. So the difference here is that okay, now I have my 
you know, uh, we, we, you know, all all grocery stores and supermarkets have this like members club thing where you get points, and then you can buy uh, like uh, towels or whatever for your points in their like points shop. You know, airlines have it; everybody has that. Uh, but the key difference I see here is that, and I don't know if that isn't something that's already existing in terms of airlines, but that you can actually sell. You know, the time I've invested with that brand, you know, I've accumulated a certain amount of value and now I can actually sell that, you know, either just because I want the profit or because, hey, I'm, I'm switching from, you know, Kellogg's to, to whatever. Uh, is that the difference uh, or is it just because it's decentralized? Uh, you know, what, what's the deal? Isn't it? We already have that. I think there's a lot of different things going into it. And I think it's it definitely one of the big differences that you can hopefully trade it because nobody wants to waste their time. Yeah. And I think it's also, uh, you know, I think brands, brands want to engage consumers and if don't like editors anymore, then, I mean, they shouldn't try to maintain me. They would be, okay, I understand. You are more happy with Nike now. That's fine, you know? Yeah. Go take your 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 thing and, and, and exchange it into Nike. Nike is... There's also people leaving Nike every day and coming to editors as well, right? It's this engagement economy instead where people are engaged with the things they like and they hopefully become more happy because they will spend more time with things that they enjoy, right? Uh, I think what we see with uh, the... So I, I was a consultant as a, at a company called Wonder, uh, Wonderman Thompson um, Map here in Copenhagen as well. And we work a lot with these loyalty programs especially not programs that are launched now but what we call the next generation of these loyalty programs um, which isn't really existing to the degree we vision at least um, i think they share a lot of a lot in common with token-based economies where brands give you token based on your engagement i think they ha it has a lot of in common but yeah, there's definitely this thing that you can't interchange it. You can't exchange it with something else. Yeah. And and there's another <laughs> thing where, uh, because I, I've, I've heard it within gaming, you know, especially there's been some stories around Blizzard and what they've tried over the years um, where you can actually, you know, you, you build up some kind of value credits, whatever, in one game. And then you can uh, take some of that and move it uh, to get an advantage in another of Blizzard's now Microsoft uh, game. And yeah, that sounds cool. But how are they then making money? And then it boils down to, and correct me if I'm wrong in this assumption, then it looks like the same old Ponzi stuff that everybody else, because if the players who have the highest value, they just move that value to the next game. You know, if it's like, you know, people are talking about it, like especially Diablo Immortal, which is basically a free to play and then you can buy stuff. But if they can move that value, then they don't have to buy stuff. So for the game to succeed, they have to get new players all the time. They want to advance into, uh, you know, the top level and buy stuff. And then we can see, okay, these players who have the value that move from one game to another, they could be like the influencers that people want to achieve their status and therefore they follow their path. And, but, but then it, to me, that just 
it just looks like it's that uh, Ponzi scheme that we've seen that it falls apart because as soon as the uh, like flow of new players stops, then everything uh, collapse. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, I think what at least I, I, I hear what the vision that I look forward to potentially is or uh, is more that you know this um, this old school kind of economy where people are trading stuff between each other, right? Think about it: the tokens, trading tokens um, between each other, exchanging products, trading products between each other between brands, between projects, especially if all of it is token-based, then it becomes easier because all tokens basically have a certain value. They all have their own you know, shares or stocks that you can potentially trade and share. Um, and it's not locked such that editors can say, you can't change this with, a, you can't trade this with anything else. And I think that's the thing that you also talk about right, with Diablo Immortal here. In, and other other Blizzard games, and I think that's also why you know there's some of these indie communities out there who is trying to create you know forum gold or other currencies that you can actually you know trade with outside of the realm, and then at least in, in some of the other games, you know all of these games being not the not not the not hacked, but the, but they're you know getting played that people will farm and they will sell the items. In other ways, you know, through DMs on Facebook, maybe I don't know. Um, but I think back back to back to the other thing. I think this engagement economy, where people, where companies and projects and and organizations and governments have tokens and they can trade with each other, kind of, they can trade with each other. Uh, consumers can trade with each other, uh, creating an economy around that. I think that's what I envision for this. It will take. Many, many, many years. Yeah. Um, Actually, Gary V mentioned it as well. Uh, in, because one of the things that I'm super hot on is tickets, like NFT as tickets. Uh, you know, we want the cool tickets back uh, like they were in the 80s and the 90s instead of these, like now we just print a barcode, which is insanely boring and you don't have anything, you know, to as a keepsake uh, from your whatever concert or whatever event it is. Um, and he said that this, because if you made your ticket tradable, again, utility with a hint of tradability, if there's a certain art of it, uh, you know, that, okay, down the road, it might become a value. But then, you know, the companies who issued it in the first place would get the royalties, as we talked about the royalties. And in the same as, because I understand what you mean about barter economy, like we did in the old days, you know, here's a sack of grain and I get a pick from you and all that kind of stuff. But if, you know, I'm a company like Blizzard or Sony or whatever, and my users are all trading picks and grain, how do I play my, pay my staff, right? So, so the only like mechanic I see, which is not a Ponzi where we have to constantly push for new players is getting royalties on those trades all the time. And then you know it's just natural, and and the and the companies are fed by getting royalties on the trades because then they can keep the whole engine or uh, the whole machine running. Maybe. Yeah. yeah <laughs> exactly. Maybe. That's just an assumption. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's, I, I, I think, and I think it's, it's again, it, this is so early, and this is so early, and, and nobody knows about 
any of this, but what we can see is that, you know, crypto in general is, you know, becoming, gaining more and more popularity. The, the, the foundation of having a technology just such as a blockchain um, is, uh, is again revolutionary if put to use in the right ways. Uh, and again, we're still thinking about how can we use this technology in, in, in different ways. And now with NFTs again, or, and, and even with the you know sem semi-fungible tokens as well. And you know, if, if let, let's say with tickets, if they should be sold bound or not sold bound um, to, to a specific wallet, there's all of these new things showing up all the time and which all have you know different ways of being put into use. And I think it's just super interesting and and there's still so many innovations to do. And I think it's also some, you know, again with the economy and how, how can we create a, a, a society based on tokens? It's, it's all down to the governments as well and institutions and of course the big corporations out there. Uh, you know, people can, can take things a long way. We have seen this, that in, in multiple cases around the world. But again, uh, we need, in the end, the government and, and other institutions needs to support whatever is happening, um, at least to some degree. Uh, otherwise, you know, we have to. Yeah, that's the one thing that the, that we, we, we always try to ignore in our conversations because that's a really big unknown. And uh, at least my feeling is that it can swing both ways uh, and uh, and there might not be that much logic involved in uh, wherever it goes. Just a lot of interest, uh, which can really mess uh, things up. Uh, so, so let's not uh, hope for for that. Um, but, but it's true. If if it if it has to translate from you know tokens and everything being digital into you know people buying milk in the grocery stores from from a trade they did. Uh, you know, there's no way around it. Oh, so, I agree. Yeah. All right, Nicky, uh, we've gone a little bit over time because this was a super interesting uh, conversation. <laughs> but but uh, thank you very much. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with the Starbone. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to follow the project and see what the what you guys are, are going to be doing. Amazing, yes, bro. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I really hope your listeners is, is, is doing that as well. And still listening in right now and and hopefully i'll see you in the discord as well or on twitter or wherever you um, you might find me or us and uh, yeah if you have any questions uh, for me further than this podcast uh, leave them in the, the the comment section of the podcast maybe even or feel free to to share them in the discord as well yeah um we're gonna share all your links in the show notes to uh, you know you and your project uh, another thing i usually ask is is it I guess you're okay with people reaching out to you on Twitter or LinkedIn or something like that. Definitely. So everybody who's listening, you know, you have the permission, uh, reach out to Nikki if uh, you have any questions uh, at all. Yeah, at all. Doesn't have to be Starbone related. Don't worry. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Nikki. Yeah, you're welcome, Jesper, and thanks to you. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Nikki. I know that things was kind of all over the place and we could have done 
you know, we could actually take this episode and probably make a step-by-step guide on how to get people involved in your NFT project in the current state of things. And if you're interested in something like that, get in touch, you know, email me, message me, wherever you can find me, because then we might do something like that if enough people request it as something that they would find useful. Thank you for listening. See you in the next one.